Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody and Steve and today many guests. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. With so much going on in the world as we speak, more than enough for even a daily podcast, it is very hard to focus. Most of the topics that are itching to be discussed today, including the suppression of free speech around the country, and of course the impeachment attempt of our outgoing president that has taken place just before this show, all lead back to the interest in and possible need for peaceful separation between the warring factions in our country. Two weeks ago, we interviewed Daniel Miller, the leader of the Texas Nationalist Movement. Today, we have another special guest with us, this time representing another secessionist movement, but of a different state and coming from a very different angle. Marcus Ruiz is the head of CalExit, and he has been known to Liberty Block for quite some time. As though we do not share much about our politics, we do agree on the need for a peaceful separation of populations that cannot get along in this world. We're also honored to have Kayla Moon, an independent journalist from California, with us as well today. Just before I invite Marcus to begin, we're going to turn to Liberty Block's own Mike Sinello for a very quick update on all that's going on in the news. Go ahead, Mike. Okay, so uh, as a lot of you, so we've, it's been a lousy three days since our last podcast. You guys can check that out. That happened this past Sunday. We had a special episode Sunday. So I'm just going to give you the headline version of all of the events that are relevant to this conversation that have taken place in just the past three days. Parler sues Amazon on exactly the Sherman antitrust grounds we talked about on Sunday's show. So guys, check that out. Ed had a big part in that conversation. Um, that tweet that we talked about with Scott Adams actually came full on to fruition. Scott Adams tweeted, how long will Republicans be allowed to do banking on January 9th? We talked about Christina Navich's response on January 9th. It's a very short leap from, quote unquote, allowing you to speak incites violence and white supremacy to, quote unquote, allowing you to bank funds violence and white supremacy. Th uh, three days later on the 12th, that actually came to fruition as Deutsche Bank announced that it would be, re be refusing to do any business with Trump moving forward, Trump Deutsche Bank being his largest lender. We have an article out on the Liberty Block, uh, libertyblock.com, talking about uh, Twitter, and I believe they we talked about Facebook's as well, but Twitter and Facebook's stock continues to fall off a cliff, not just tank, fall off a cliff. Uh, House Democrats and Nancy Pelosi uh, demanded the invocation of a removal of an ouster of President Trump via the 25th Amendment. Pence responded by refusing, uh, and we can get into that if you'd like. I have that um, impeachment. The impeachment hearing, an, an impeachment hearing was held in response to Pence, re, Pence's refusal. That's going on right now. That's actually on C-SPAN right now, um, and the voting is being done as we speak. I can give you some results. Uh, in response to all of this, a, uh, our favorite, uh, <laughs> our, our Dan's favorite um, House member, AOC, uh, had this really uh, explicitly fascistic video rant that we could go into if you'd like. 
And then the National Pulse released a timeline of the events uh, on the 6th, which indicated that Trump's speech didn't end until basically 1 p.m. The Capitol was breached at 1230 and Trump's speech was held a 45 minute walk away from where the Capitol was. So as far as I can tell, that seems to cover the topics that have happened in just three days. Okay, thank you very much, Mike. I'm going to turn now to Kayla. Welcome to our show, Kayla. Floor is yours. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you guys providing this platform for me to speak. Um, I'm here today to um, share with you a hypothesis that I have. And um, there is a video that I shared with you guys, if you would like to play that as a little opener into what um, the discussion points that I will be bringing today. Okay, here we go. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. They go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. And so even if you lost, he insulted you, right? Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. He would have been a hero. So we can go ahead and pause it right here. I think you guys get the point. Um, punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? You're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look at this character. He's stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and our honoring our Constitution are, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels. That this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying around you ain't seen nothing yet. So um, as you could hear, there was a lot going on in that video. And at the very end, you see a car driving by and actually killing a Trump supporter. And why I think that this is a very important video to highlight is because this is the symptoms of a society that is on the verge of experiencing a genocide. We hear a lot of people talking about civil war. And while people, you know, try to look towards things in the past that may we can relate to in the present. Um, one thing that is often left off or left out in the conversation is that genocide occurs during civil wars, right? And that's a very important point to highlight. Um, right now, we are, according to the founder 
of Global Genocide Watch, we are in stage five out of his 10 stages. So there is a founder, Global Genocide Watch. His name is Dr. Gregory H. Stanton. Um, I spoke with him directly and asked him where he thought we were on his 10 stages. Um, he, you know, a little bit of his background, this is an international organiz organization that goes in and helps either educate societies um, and governments on, you know, how they can pull back from experiencing a genocide. They go in and intervene um, with different countries or different places that are experiencing it. So he is the expert in the field um, in regards to genocide. And when I was speaking to him, um, you know, he told me himself through his own words that we are in stage five out of the 10 stages. Um, so stage five is dehumanization where one group denies the humanity of the other group. And we can see this um, in this video, the radicalization, the ramping up of the, the terminology. And what's really important to highlight is that whenever a genocide occurs, it is encouraged by the leaders. It is encouraged by the talking heads, by the politicians, um, where they don't have to lift a finger. They don't have to go out and cause this street level violence. They can just speak about it and then people go out and act, you know? And so I think that this video really summarizes where we are as a society. And, you know, what's so interesting, and I know we, you know, we have limited time, so I'm trying to go as quickly as possible and feel free to jump in at any point. Um, but one thing where Dr. Gregory H. Stanton and I disagree is the victim group. He believes that the victim group is going to be people on the left. He feels like the progressives are going to be targeted at a very high level from QAnon groups. In September of last year, he wrote an article saying that QAnon um, is the most radicalized, dangerous group in America. And I highly disagree. And here's why. Younger people I hate to say it if anyone's, you know, a little bit older on this board or on this panel, but older people traditionally get their news from the mainstream media. So if this man, the founder, the expert is only going to CNN, MSN, etc., he is getting the wrong kind of information, right? But we can see actually on the ground street level violence actual attacks, actual murders happening to people on the right. But that is how disconnected people are from what is really going on on the grounds. The founder of a international organization who has highlighted the 10 stages of genocide, I encourage every single one of you to go and look at it for yourselves. It is such an important document. Um, he is so, our media is so out of touch with reality. The founder of this organization isn't even aware of the group that is actually going to be the victim group, which is the Republicans and the conservatives. I myself am not a Republican, nor am I a conservative. I was traditionally progressive until I was canceled for interviewing a conservative. And that was kind of my red pill. You know, it's like, if I can't go out, I, my editor privileges were revoked from the newspaper that I was working on or working with um, on their Facebook. I was completely canceled from the progressive community that I was interacting with. And it was a wake up call to me where it's like, if I cannot go as a journalist, as an objective journalist to go and speak to a conservative, 
you know, where are we really at? And so it was really interesting because I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast and um, they were interviewing a man who was the, the director of The Social Dilemma, right? Where he actually says in this documentary that social media algorithms caused a genocide. I don't remember exactly what, where it was in the world, but it because tensions were so polarized and because people were getting only one type of information funneled at extreme levels, it actually caused a genocide. You know, and I'm like, okay, I keep hearing people talking about civil war. Let's look into the genocide thing. You know, I don't hear people talking about that. It seems a little alarmist. It seems a little out there, but I want to look into it. Go ahead, Elliot. Yeah, you make so many good points. And thank you so much for joining us again. Um, you know, we, we've mentioned genocide a little bit and civil war. And of course, they have some similarities. Um, they're, they're pretty related. Now, will every conservative or pro-liberty person, libertarian, be slaughtered in the next year in the U.S.? Maybe, maybe not. It could happen. I think we could be on cattle guard soon, but they don't even have to, like Stephen, a few others mentioned earlier in the intro. They are canceling us from online. First, they said we can't meet in person. We can't meet with our neighbors and go to the town hall and talk in, in the coffee shop. We, so we talk online. They canceled us on Facebook and Twitter. We ran to Parler. They got Parler thrown off the internet because of the servers. So they're canceled. we literally can't talk to each other besides maybe and phone and internet, an which will be canceled point. soon. Elliot, yep. it's not just silencing people's voices. It's taking away access to their livelihood. Yep. They're going to get us all How? fired. A lot have been doxxed already. Yeah. We're getting fired. They'll cut out the banking. They'll cut that's off everything. Happening. That stuff's already happening. People So that's fired. essentially a genocide. If we can't work, can't talk, can't live, can't breathe, can't eat, can't go to the grocery store because we're afraid for so many reasons. Our banks are shut down. We can't use anything. We're doxxed. People come into our house. We can't, can't do anything in the world. It's very close to some kind of cultural genocide. Of course, it's not the same as murdering, which they might also do. Like we saw in that clip, you know, people are shooting Trump supporters, but you know, not by the hundreds of millions quite yet. But so genocide could take maybe two forms of violent, murderous genocide, but also they are hurting our quality of life so badly that that's something of concern as well, right? I just want to, in the interest of politeness, we have one more guest, our main guest. So I just want to ask Marcus if you would like to comment before we all jump. Thank you for having me on, Rabbi. It's always a pleasure. Always enjoyed our discussions. Elliot, thanks for getting me into this uh, years ago. It's been a pleasure. Uh, as president and founder of the Yes California CalExit movement, we have always been about California values and progressive. But I think, Rabbi and Elliot, we've shown that we were those crazy California liberals who would actually talk to you. And so I hope anybody, any conservatives see this, recognize that, yes, I am a liberal and yes, I'm a Californian. But I actually believe in the law, following the constitution and reaching out to conservatives. We've always said 35 states don't like California, so why not vote us out? And I want those conservatives to recognize that I'm a reasonable person who you can work with. And that's why I'm here highlighting this. I don't like Trump. I think Trump's a racist. I think he's a sexist. I think he incited the violence. But that's the point, is that even when I'm feeling that way, what's happening on the left is not acceptable. And I can have both opinions. I can agree with my fellow lefties about this and that and say, whoa, I'll just give you a couple points. Kayla turned me on to this. I've worked with Kayla for years. She was one of the first interviews about CalExit. But when Kayla originally introduced this topic to me, I thought I always respect Kayla's opinion, but like many people I work with, I don't always necessarily agree. I thought she was overreaching. And then two weeks later, something happened that exactly landed just like she predicted it. And I go, she's onto something and I need to jump on board. I'm hoping a genocide doesn't happen, 
maybe it doesn't happen, but I don't want to be one of those people that look the other way when they start walking that path. I was raised in a family that said that the Holocaust was the worst display of human evil ever. My uncle was a historian and he walked me through, Mark, the Germans weren't bad people. Things happened and happened and happened and happened and happened and they evolved into something monstrous, which means all of us are capable of the same act. And the moment we forget that, that's when it happens again. So just a real quick, make a list of them all. Perhaps you heard that from the Nazis in the 1930s. Well, reporters associated with New York Daily, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, and Salon, and two former officials from President Clinton and two former officials from Obama and a sitting Congress member all said this recently. Uh-oh, perhaps compare people to animals. Well, Dan Rather, the reporter, former presidential candidate John Kasich, the Washington Post, and now CNN have all done this. Perhaps you've heard the phrase Trumpelstiltskin? Well, that sounds funny. It's comparing all Trump voters to somebody who's known in mythology as a subhuman. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, go ahead and be violent and hurt them. Well, that's been espoused by reporters on MSNBC, reporters on CNN, and a sitting Congress member. So we have officials in politics, we have officials in media, we have presidential candidates, and we have people connected to the government who are saying things that the Nazis said in the 1930s. Compare them to animals. It's acceptable to be violent to them, and let's make a list of them all. That is the path the Nazis took that led to genocide. I would like to highlight these things so that we don't get there. And furthermore, I question all liberals who can stand by while this happens. I didn't say, look the other way and don't criticize Trump. Trump said Mexicans are rapists and, uh, and murderers, and he said that it's okay to rape women. You don't have to agree with me. But even though I know that and think that, this is still wrong. It is wrong to say, make a list of everybody because they have a different political opinion. It is wrong to suggest or leave open any threat that could be interpreted as it's okay to use violence to pursue a political agenda. And it is wrong to do anything that symbolizes the path that the Nazis took leading up to the Jews. And I stand against that. I hope you see that as I'm a man of principle and I represent an organization of principle. I'll leave it there. Thank you. I just want to mention something. Uh, normally I would think this is coming way out of outer space and left field, but I'm sure everybody here is familiar with Dennis Prager, who's a noted historian and an intellectual. He's very, very popular, although he's been canceled on half of his forums all over the web. Um, he's Jewish, he's studied the Holocaust, I believe he studied Russia, he speaks Russian fluently, he's very well versed in the world. He wrote a column within the last week or so, saying in his entire life, and I believe he's in his 70s, he never understood how this could happen in Germany. He never understood the quote unquote good German, and now he does. So even though I don't agree with where you guys are going with this, he's changing his mind about how far we've gone. Okay, now I'm gonna turn back to our usual guests, our usual hosts, excuse me, Jody and Ed, if you guys wanna comment, it's all yours. Yeah, I'll be quick, Ed, but I wanted to make, uh, speak about something um, that Kayla mentioned about the stage five out of 10 and the expert who says that, and it really kind of highlights one of our really big problems because the experts generally aren't allowed to be questioned and debates not allowed to be had. And the expert is actually what it kind of seems like emboldening the left because 
he's saying this and he's saying the aggressors are, are on the right. So he's kind of making it worse by giving even more anger and power to the, to the aggressors and uh, m making the potential victims um, really worse off and, and harder to defend themselves. And I just, just wanna say, I feel it, I'm in Illinois. Um, I literally, we, people, I'm neighbors with people, my husband, people who my husband works with, their jobs are threatened if they uh, are outwardly supporting Republicans in this state. It's, uh, if you run for office in my area, I know somebody who has, uh, the vitriol is extreme. She was called the C word. Um, she was called horrible things by her opponent. Um, it's scary. And I want peace. I definitely want peace. I prefer peace and living together, agreeing to disagree and saying, you guys do your thing, we'll do our thing and we love each other with our differences. But I fear that's not possible. So however we get peace, I want peace. And that used to be the norm. That used to be the social contract in America. We could mm -hmm. all live and respect each other for our differences, right? Mm -hmm. But we have come so far. And one point that Marcus was saying was all these different people that are saying these things, encouraging aggression, encouraging violence. This is genocidal speech. So whenever we see people using genocidal speech, we have to call it out for what it is. You know, this is enacting you know, this is enabling violence. And I have a quick point for you guys. And, and this is a little bit of good news in all of this, right? So Project Veritas went undercover, um, got Michael Beller, he was the principal counsel for PB PBS, stating, we go for all of the Republican voters and Homeland Security will take their children away. Right. He was caught saying all kinds of terrible, horrible things. That's just one quote from this undercover interview. And this man is a purple example, a perfect example of someone in real life using genocidal speech. And once that video came out, he was fired, I believe, in the same day because and PBS did the right thing. And every organization, whether it's CNN, MSN, all of these different organizations, if you have someone in your organization, if you have a leader or a representative, that is using genocidal speech, call it for what it is and cut it right then and there to make a point that this is not allowed within a civil society. Like you're saying, Jody, we have to respect one another. We have to live within a social contract where I can respect you for your opinion and you can respect me because that's human dignity, mm -hmm. right? So we have to call it for what it is. So I, I'm sorry, real quick. I, I, I think we can do that. But where we where we start to fight is where it says, okay, now you have to live under my worldview. I don't, okay, I respect that you disagree, but now I want you to live in a free market, free minds, and I don't want government healthcare. So you have to live the way I want. If we could get rid of that part, we would have nothing to argue with, right? You could have government funded healthcare. I could have free market healthcare. And our disagreements wouldn't be about pushing it onto the other. If we could agree to disagree and say, and I, I, I will allow you, please live as you live. Please group with people of like mind and have all of those that in your worldview pleases you and please let me do the same. Ed? Agreed. Well, I don't see, I don't think it's far afield at all to talk about genocide right now. I, I'm a little puzzled that you think it's so far afield, Steve. The signs are obvious to me. 
I don't think it's necessarily going to be against Republicans. Uh, it, it certainly could be. There's a, there's some, a lot of evidence. You guys talked about it. Um, you know, the unpersoning of Donald Trump, the unpersoning of everybody associated with Donald Trump, the unpersoning of Parler. Um, but more generally, I, I see I see Black Lives Matter movement as a as a black supremacist movement. I think the genocide could well be coming against white people. Um, and I think there's a lot of evidence for that. I think when you look at BLM and all if you if you just say all lives matter, they object to that. And I don't see how anybody who anybody but a genocidal maniac could oppose could oppose all lives matter. Um, I think that they're hiding their genocidal motives and motivations behind the Black Lives Matter slogan. Um, I think that there's lots of evidence of pretty overt racism from, and not just overt racism, but white shaming coming from, from our leftist colleagues. Uh, the Biden team has talked about it. Um, there have been news stories that I think Liberty Block has, has uh, written about over the last couple of months where government agencies are putting uh, government employees through re-education about uh, people's whiteness. Um, so I, I don't see it being far field at all. I'm, I'm, in fact, I, I'm surprised it's only five at a, at, out of a scale of one to 10, it's only a five. I'm not familiar with the scale, Kayla, that you mentioned, but uh, the signs are obvious and, and ominous to me. Sure, so um, six is the organization. So you can't just go out and have a genocide happen. You know, it's like there has to be systems put into place. So organization is genocide is always organized, usually by the state, often using militias to provide deniability of state responsibility. Sometimes organizations are informal or decentralized, as in terrorist groups, special army units using militias. So we can see a little bit of that organization going on um, in regards to Antifa. Um, and that's one thing that um, we can see when we're looking at the right and the left. The left has been par participating in activism for over 10 years. The birth of activism in this country, we can really pull it back into Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street was a very influential or, um, moment for so many different people, and it's carried them through their activism career all the way till today. So the left knows how to organize. Look at the black block, look at the shields, look at how their flash mobs, look at how they can show up and literally infiltrate and push back police. The right, there's no way, there's no way they're not ready. Look at what happened to the Capitol. There was no organization. You know, it's like people were just going with the flow, doing what they want to do. Oh, we're going into the Capitol now? I guess we are. Maybe we're busting in. You know, it's like they had no idea. They were not organized at all. You know, and so I think that's one thing. The organization, the left has got it down pat. They, they know it. They know it like the back of their hand, you know? And so I think that's another important point, that if people on the right, if they want to be able to combat these kinds of things, they need to be able to organize. Either you, you play the game, right, at the political sphere, or you don't. You can opt out. You can organize your own little groups. Do whatever you want, you know? Well, Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, can I just add, I think that's a good point for me to interject. We on the right do know how to organize. The Tea Party movement was millions and millions of people that got together. The problem was we had enemy fire within our own camp. And there's a lot of people on the right that are, that are false allies. So I, I think we do know how to organize. I think that we do know how to protest. I think we do know how to get together. But 
uh, we need to separate within our own side from the enemy, the enemy that's within before we try and separate from the enemy without. I agree with that. The Tea Party was great. It was a phenomenal organization of conservatives and they got a whole bunch of great conservatives elected and they went to DC and that was the, the goal of that. You know, Wall, Occupy Wall Street was a little different. The goal of the Tea Party was to get good conservative Tea Party conservatives elected to Congress. They did. And a few years later, those conservatives living in DC, what happens in DC is the air is toxic. They became toxic and poisoned. And now I believe all of those Tea Party elected congressmen from five, 10 years ago have been poisoned and are now part of the swamp because the swamp is, is poisonous, it uh, turns out. So, and that's another big, big issue. And to get back to secession, that's what happens when you go to DC and you rule over 330 million people. Power kind of goes to your head. The country is way too big, way too complicated, divided, authoritarian, socialist, corrupt for people to be in DC for more than a few years and not become corrupt, which is why we have to split into smaller states so we can rule ourselves decently. See, and I would like to come off Kayla's point in a different direction because what Kayla said about organization, well, the left has recognized that, which is why there's already been a bill introduced that MAGA rallies will be domestic terror rallies, and everybody who shows up to one is now a terrorist and is getting arrested. They're aware that the right can't organize, and now that there appears to be some degree of movement on the right to, toward this organization, they're immediately nipping that in the bud because, again, Kayla, like you said, these things need to be nipped in the bud. And conveniently, when it works for them, they're very good at nipping these things in the bud. Mike, do you want to say anything, Mike P? Well, I think one of the big issues, of course, is we're living in a post-constitutional time. And so when we talk, <laughs> what he's talking about, we can't agree to disagree. Um, you know, we're trying to impose our own agendas on each other. It's, the simple fact that the federal government has centralized power. They've usurped power from the states and from the people, and that has led to factions, and, and we're fighting, and it's just not going to stop. Um, I was kind of laughing a little bit at one point Ed made about BLM, because last time I looked, I think most of them were white females, and they're going to now kill. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was a little funny, but I, I, I think that's the root of the problem. I do, th I, I'm, I'm, you know, listening to what Kayla's saying, and it's resonating with me because you see so much that's going on. But one thing that I have seen on social media lately is calls from far left activists. I think one was on MSNBC, who's behind the 1619 Project, who was calling for the deprogramming of Trump people. And I've seen that in at least a couple of places. So you, you see this unpersoning, this dehumanizing, uh, uh, it's obviously very troubling. Yeah, you know, and uh, the last, so when I talked to Gregory uh, H. Stanton, the founder, this was about four months ago. Um, so obviously with everything that has just happened in the last week or so, we may have just jumped to stage nine, which is persecution. And I'm going to just read this to you guys real quick. Victims are identified and separated out because of their national, ethnic, racial, or religious identity. The victim group's most basic human rights are systematically violated through extrajudicial extra killings, torture, and or forced displacement. Right. So what we can see in parlor, you know, what's going on with social media, this is torturing individuals. If you take away their ability to connect with the world and isolate them, what do oppressors do to their victims? What do in a, in, if you're in a domestic violence situation, one of the biggest symptoms of that that uh, violent relationship is that they isolate the victim. They isolate you from your friends, from your family. That is abuse. You know, we, we cannot deny that. 
And so, um, and then it says, um, death lists are drawn up. We're not there yet, but we got the list. I don't know if death is a part of it. Um, so, and then in-state sponsored genocide. So members of the victim group may be forced to wear identifying symbols. Their property is often expropriated. Sometimes they are segregated into ghettos, deported to concentration camps, confined to a famine-struck region and starved. Talk about taking away people's livelihood. If people cannot run their business, if they cannot do their job, they're being starved, they're becoming desperate. This is persecution. So we may have just jumped from stage five to stage nine. And the thing is, is that back in the day, the civil war in America, that took close to 20 years to play out, right? That took a, that was a very long span in history. Things do not move like that anymore. We can have the coin flip in a day and it be a completely different game. And we've seen that with the COVID lockdowns and how easily our society was flipped on its head. Within two weeks, we're all sitting at home, covering our face, wearing a mask, not going outside, knocking, you know. So our reality, we know that our reality can change within an instant. And that's why we have to call it what it is and speak out on it right now. It's interesting you bring up the P word because I said exactly that on my Facebook page. I said, it's not censorship, it's persecution. Censorship is just the tool. It's one of the tools in their toolbox that they're using, but it, it is the P word. It's persecution for our political beliefs. So Kayla and Marcus, you can just imagine when you are a conservative and you speak up, the reception is not good. So I feel like us speaking up for ourselves, um, it needs to come from people like you who understand, that who, who, who can take the ear of the ones that you already feel you have this alignment with to help them understand, look, there's differences. These people aren't evil. Please don't support, you know, these things. But I don't think it, we, we could literally say, you know, we want poverty to be dissolved and here's what we're doing to do it. And we're still evil. So I don't feel like we have any ability to speak for ourselves and truly be heard. Well, I, go ahead, Marcus, did you have something you wanted to say to that? Um, I have a few comments, but I'll wait, Kayla. I just need like two minutes, whatever. No problem. You know, I just, I, Marcus mentioned something about the, the capacity of human emotion, right? And, and we as human beings have the capacity to do the most evil and horrendous deeds to other human beings, right? It's like, we're the only species on this planet that can really truly do the most horrendous things to millions of people that we're of, are of the same species, right? And so we, we have to understand what the spectrum of emotion really is. And Jody, you were saying that people like us need to go out and talk to the, pe the people that, you know, whether it's in the progressive community, the independent community, talk to the people that, you know, think like us, whatever it may be. Well, I'm going to tell you, Jody, that people's emotions are so deeply involved in this that when, when the riots started happening last year, I reached out to over 20 different community organizers in my town and said, will you please disavow the riots? I do not want my town to burn to the ground, right? Can we please stand as one and take preventative measures and speak to the activist community and say, this is something we do not, we disavow and we don't want to see. We do not want to organize in this type of way. I've reached out to 20 different community organizers and not one responded to me. 
So people want to see it burn. They want to see it burn, you know? And it's like, it's, it's up to us somehow to, all of us have a responsibility to make sure that our emotions are in check, that we're feeling mentally okay and stable and good so that when we go and engage in the world, you know, we don't, we don't allow this type of thing to be happening. It's, it's just, it's terrible. I don't know what to say, Jody. I've tried. Okay. I, I'm trying. <laughs> I have too. I've spent, you know, ever since my walk away, I've spent trying to bridge the gap. I understand it's all about emotion. Really. It's, it's all about emotion. And I've always tried to bridge that emotional gap and help, you know, see that we all want the same world. We want, we want people to be able to, you know, feed their families and have good educations. We want people to be happy. We want all the same things. We just have a different path to get there. If we just leave each other on our own path, but we can't. I've tried. I've tried to. There's no. But the radical freedom anti-left for years has, has been genius and successfully organized, like you said. They've organized and they have successfully already done it. They've taken over almost every single institution in the U.S. from almost all of media, all of education, all of entertainment. Um, almost all politics, everything, everything, they control everything. And they, what they have done is made it so that everyone agrees or 90% of people in the US agree, even the people, especially institutions, they all agree that if you are conservative or pro-life or pro-gun or white or religious, um, especially, you know, Christian or Jewish, you are by definition evil, subhuman, and you're a Nazi and inciting violence, thereby dehumanizing us and making it mora morally okay, acceptable, even righteous to persecute and kill us. We all agree it's good to kill evil people and murderers and rapists and Nazis. And they have made us, they painted us successfully as those evil Nazis. It's over. Our only chance is either to die or to leave the US. That, that's why I want my state to secede. They have successfully painted me as an evil murderer or a Nazi and there's no coming back from it. There's no, oh, but just tell them you're not a Nazi. You just want freedom. It's over. It's over. We are successfully painted as evil savages and subhuman. They have dehumanized us. It's over. We're not in the middle of it. Like you said, stage nine. Yeah, we're after, we're done. We're done with stage five, stage nine. We're done with that. We have successfully all been painted. Might as well have a, a goddamn swastika or some savage thing on our set saying we are evil. They have successfully convinced America around 99% that we are evil. That's why we need to leave the US if we want to live. You know, Question. Elliot, Go, oh, go ahead. Me a question, Kayla. How many sure. we'll get to this? Not so important. Who do we blame? But we're saying we have to do something. What are the proposals here? Um, besides the long-term goal of some type of peaceful separation, which is difficult since we live next door to each other, um, what is what is realistic to do to calm these things down? You know, I would have loved to ask the founder of Global Genocide Watch, the same thing. But I actually, um, after our conversation where he agreed to an interview, um, I sent him an email and I asked him if it was, there was a potential to see a conservative genocide in my lifetime. And um, he then refused the, in the interview and he no longer um, engaged in the conversation with me. And so, um, you know, and that was very hurtful to me. Um, it, it was just a tragedy because the person that knows the answers to these things is on the side of the left. He's on the side of the progressive. Everyone on the right is the Nazi. They all are the QAnon, you know? So, so he's helping dehumanize the people. He gets how it works and he's actually assisting. And he's one of the experts because you know, that's what they rely on, the experts. Well, hypocrisy is part for the course for Helping to dehumanize the very people who are going to end up on the slaughter side. Pretty much. Yeah. 
So Stephen, I don't have an answer for you. I wish I did. You know, I think that, like I said, having conversations like these, calling it for what it is, creating some type of checks and balance system. If someone in your local community is utilizing genocidal speech, call it out, make a big deal, organize around it. Maybe study the left, figure out their activist techniques. You know, there's a, um, the founder, co-founder of Occupy Wall Street. His name's Michael White. I've interviewed him and we've had dialogue back and forth. He created a school, the activist graduate school. Maybe the people on the right need to start enrolling in these things. We do have some activist education stuff, we do. Well, as Kayla, yeah. somebody mentioned before, in the place we are at today on January 13th, anything we do to in any way organize, I mean, I may have to throw Jody off the show for saying walk away because we could be deplatformed just for those two words. So mm -hmm. we're really in trouble now. We, we can barely talk to each other. We can't go on parlor and talk to each other. Several people on this conversation right now have been banned from Facebook and we have no clue how or why, excuse me. So we're really at a tremendous disadvantage. We, we, you know, we're lucky we can still use the phones, but the cynics among us wonder when they'll interrupt our phone calls and say, we're not gonna carry your phone calls because of what you're talking about. So I don't even know from the right what we could do today to quote, organize. I'm sorry. Put some fuel on that fire. Oh, I'm sorry, Kayla. No, I was just gonna say, I'm so sorry that you are all in these positions and what the left needs to understand is that they're next. What they need to understand is that when the genocide was happening in Russia, it started with the revolutionaries on the streets, but eventually they were targeted too. Right. So no one's safe in cancel culture. No one is safe. Everyone is going to lose their rights. Every, you know, the left's having a party now. Woo, we won. We canceled all of them. You're next, buddy. Right. You are technically aiding and embedding the evil. I mean, you'll be one like in Nazi Germany, you know, where, wait, what? You, you had people in your basement? Well, you're evil too now. You have to go. You may have been on our side, but you helped these people live. No one's safe in a, in a cancel culture society. No one. Yeah, it's gotten to the point where I may reread Tale of Two Cities, and that's quite an investment of time. But yeah, once the guillotine gets going, I mean, it, there's no secret that within the Democrat Party, there's a push for a purge. You know, the AOC gang is going to purge the Biden gang. And that's probably not going to look too pretty either. But if we can't talk to people on the left and you can't talk to people on the left, I'm not exactly sure how you open a dialogue when we're considered to just be evil people. You can't have a dialogue. That's why we have to secede. We have to separate right. and live in our own republic and we can live our lives. They can live theirs and that's fine. Right. But now if you just take the word secession and call it insurrection, look where we are. Oh, they'll try to kill us. That's why we have to secede and fortify our republic as well. I mean, it's interesting that people on the right are tripping over themselves to condemn whatever happened or didn't happen in the Capitol and saying we should hang them and punish them to the full extent of the law. And then in parentheses saying, boy, it would be nice if we did that to the other side. But in a sense, you know, for those of us who believe that this election was quote unquote stolen, see Jody, I can say bad words too. Now we'll be deplatformed because of me. Those of us who believe that, what were we supposed to do? And I forget which liberal who said riots are the voice of the unheard. It may have been MLK, I'm not sure. If we can't 
talk about it and we can't protest peacefully, it's going to blow up. And that's really scary. Now, some people will point out that all the guns are owned by the people on the right. But we also know that there are credit cards and banks, et cetera, who are trying very hard to totally deplatform the entire gun business in this country. I don't see it happening tomorrow, but that's always a big push. And frankly, I really, really don't want to see anybody shooting anybody on the streets. I mean, you had in, the McCloskey case was just a little bit of a, a view of what happens when people start protecting themselves with weapons. And I'm not sure where that's gonna end up, but none of that was good, defending your property with a weapon. So anybody have a positive comment to say here? Laser's the optimist, what does he have to say? Not on this topic, I'm not. No, laser, uh, laser is safely living in the Ukraine, former Soviet Union. So, interestingly, uh, yeah, where I live right now underwent are. pretty much a, a civil war slash coup just in 2014 because their own version of a dictator was running the country into the ground in Putin's pocket and walked away from a chance to join the European Union, which for everybody in Ukraine, for the record, I believe it is the poorest country in all of Europe. Everybody in Ukraine was very desperate to join the European Union. Obviously, Putin would not have liked that because it would make it a whole lot harder for him to take Ukraine back, which we all know he's trying to do. And so this guy walked out of it. They peacefully protested. After about a month, it became a little bit less peaceful from the government side when the police started to run them over instead of just surround them. Two months, three months, four months, and it pretty much culminated in a combination of kind of their equivalent of the FBI's HST team, which is like a super SWAT team, if you will, plus local police, plus in this beautiful step in order to get around the, well, cops can't do this to people. They just let a bunch of criminals out of prison on the contingency that they then throw on a uniform and go attack the civilians. Uh, the combination of these groups went out one day and wound up killing about a hundred Ukrainian civilians, shooting people with stretchers, shooting people, applying care in the streets. It was a disaster. Immediately following that, somebody from an active member of the Ukrainian military got up on stage in the middle of Kiev in front of the mayor and said that if the president doesn't resign by 10 a.m., he speaks for his entire battalion when he says they're coming in with guns and tanks and they're going to do everything and they're going to take it. And uh, the president bailed in the middle of the night to Russia by helicopter where he's still living happily ever after with Putin. Um, so I live there. Of course, the next step that we saw there was two of the oblasts, which are like provinces all the way on the Russian border in the east, proceeded to declare independence, you know, by themselves and not with Russian tanks and troops in the streets, which were shamelessly there. Uh, so that's still the ongoing war. That's actually what I do out there as I'm part of an international diplomatic team serving both sides of that war zone on a monitoring mission. Uh, obviously then Crimea came later and obviously we've seen what happened in Minsk and Belarus over this last year and all of what's going on over there. So I'm interestingly kind of living in a place that just went through what we're about to go through and it's always interesting for me speaking to Americans because Americans think this is so far away. But a quick glance around the world shows that even in the last 10 years, there have been full-on civil wars and or sort of proxy wars in numerous European countries. I mean, after the fall of the Soviet Union, we saw these wars happen in Bosnia, Serbia, you know, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Kosovo and Moldova and Macedonia. The gangs in Albania literally used to have tanks because the Soviets just bailed and teenagers just got into the tanks and started blowing up houses because, hey, sweet, free tank. Uh, all over Europe, this has happened. In the Middle East, 
in Yemen right now. Yemen is, according to one of my friends who spent 20 years as a special operations soldier for the U.S., he said by far the worst place he's ever been in the world was Yemen, and it's unbelievable what's happening there. Uh, Yemen's a total mess. Yemen's a civil war. Syria's still really a civil war. Iraq is several different levels of civil war in the last 20 years. There are civil wars all over Africa where there are numerous missions from every government and every intergovernmental agency. Civil war is everywhere. South Sudan seceded from Sudan just a couple of years ago. It birthed a new country. It hasn't been that many years since Rwanda. Or has everybody already forgotten about that? I mean, we've seen genocides in Africa in my lifetime where they literally killed a million people in a matter of days with machetes in the streets. And all it took was some propaganda pretty much from one radio station. One wealthy guy took over the media, and the next thing you know, they're literally butchering people in the streets with knives. This isn't far away. This isn't cyber. This isn't dropping a bomb from an airplane. This is people in the street with a knife killing their neighbors, doing it happily, and then killing thousands more in a matter of hours. So, Laser, would you agree that people have the capacity for evil if they could be uh, manipulated by this big propaganda that dehumanizes, people for instance? Unqu- like- people unquestionably have the capacity for it. The precedent and the proof is in the pudding from every country on the face of the earth going back to as long as we have recorded history. It's right now around the world. I could show you 10 countries tomorrow, many of which I have friends working in in some capacity or another, whether it's UN, European Union, American military contractors, and so on and so forth that are at war right now, whether it's proxy wars, three-way civil wars, simply revolt. This stuff is happening everywhere. So in the U.S., how long do you think reasonably weeks or months or years or decades how long in the U.S. Do you, how far away do you think it is before I think it we're would inside of ten years to kill people like us, whites and conservatives, and and I like think us. we're inside of ten years, and both sides already cry that if somebody kills somebody on their side, the penalty's not as bad, right? We feel that we're the most prosecutable and persecutable people in the United States of America. As I'm, I'm a white male with nothing. I mean, I'm not. I can't pull any real minority card. On the flip side. So much of the narrative around what just happened at the Capitol was, oh, well, if they were black, the cops would have just killed them all. But they're white. See the double standard? And that narrative has been pushed by everybody in the media, by numerous members of Congress, by governors around the United States of America, by numerous elected officials in various states. That is one of the prime narratives coming out of all this is look at the double standard. Even the NBA and athletes can't shut up about this. They're ranting and raving, every single one of them. So we're, we're really not that far from that point, I don't think, because everybody already feels that they're the victim. Everybody on every side has decided they're the victim. And as Kayla mentioned, and although as you and I have spoken, and I've, I've had this conversation before with Stephen, with Marcus over the last year, eventually people are driven to desperation, right? Whether it's taking away their means of communicate, whether it's taking away their ability to create themselves a livelihood or to provide for their children. Eventually, everybody gets desperate enough Right. If you look at pre-1939 Nazi, the Jews slowly lost rights and slowly lost rights. They're like, oh, whatever. We've been in Germany forever. This will be okay. And then Kristallnacht happened, and they were beaten and raped in the streets. And they're like, wait a minute. What the hell just happened? And then the trains came. And that was that. And then the rest of the world said, oh, well, it's still okay. And then the Blitzkrieg happens, and a million Poles died in 15 seconds. And the world goes, oh, crap. What was that? And then it was too late. And then 460 million people died. Right, but so, the problem is that you have Schwarzenegger, the Austrian, saying the capital <laughs> raid for 50 to 100 people was Kristallnacht. So like right. you said, we're all playing victim here. Exactly. And therefore, 
it's really interesting. I guess the truth is, I mean, the Nazis, obviously, they did what they did by playing victim. Of course, they were they, were they were the victim, right? The world screwed them. And that's why Mein Kampf right. took right. off. And that's why Hitler was elected chancellor, because they were the victim. And that's just it. If you create a set of victims, eventually victims are pushed to desperation. Where we sit right now, everybody feels like they're the victim on the verge of desperation. That means this powder keg can explode from the right, from the left, from the middle, from literally anywhere. It's just a giant tinderbox with a hundred lit fuses. They're all burning fast. And who knows what blows first? Is it BLM? So it's a who are like, super powder keg for multiple reasons on multiple levels. Of course well, it is. I have on the to one tell hand, you, um, c- coming from a bunch of angles is a Reagan conservative who moved toward libertarian as a very law and order guy who's moved very libertarian. Um, watching some of the videos of regular Americans, quote unquote, cursing at cops is a very, very unnerving thing to happen in this country. When you watch, there was a video from Millennial Millie that I shared with some of you the other day, and you have just your regular average Reagan type conservatives cursing at the top of their lungs at cops and saying, we're not gonna support you anymore. Um, coming from the conservative place, that's really, really sad. That's a breakdown of civilization right here. And I have no idea which side the cops are going to fall on. I don't know which side the National Guardsmen are going to fall on. Right now they're sleeping in the Capitol floor, which is, I'm not quite sure why they can't bill it somewhere else other than the Capitol floor. (laughs) But uh, I just don't know. So what I'm looking for is we say a solution is peaceful divorce and secession, most of us know how incredibly difficult that's going to be. How do you keep the fire down? Meanwhile, go ahead, Marcus. I'd like to just chime in on that answer. F.H. Uh, Buckley and David French are well-known academics. Both of them have written a book in the last year saying that secession is, in fact, the solution to peace, or at least high dev- devolution. And both of them said that the most likely candidate was California. Additionally, Kreitner was a liberal who said that. So there's three books on secession who all said, you want to calm down the temperature, have California secede, allow them to leave. Their policies are so out of line with uh, the rest of America that it would definitely reduce the temperature and the amount of conflict that's already happening. Three different scholars said that within last year, and every single one of them said California was the most likely to pull it off and the most likely candidate to instantaneously reduce the temperature of the political discourse. That right, which begs a couple of questions. The question I asked you the other day is now that the left controls everything, why would Californians want to leave? And second of all, Pelosi and Newsom, et cetera, don't have much of a motivation to want California to leave. Like we've said to other secessionists, everybody wants national office. And why would they let that even come close to happening? So if you want to talk about that. It's sure, sure. The, the answer is that Gavin Newsom in 2017 said he doesn't support CalExit and that he views himself as an American. You can go ahead and type in the video, Gavin Newsom responds to CalExit. It's in front of a live audience of about 45 to 50 people. We can't leave America. There's liberals we have to protect. I'm an American. No one clapped. Everyone frowned. Those were real Californians. So I would offer to you, the people in power may say one thing, that don't mean we think that. Live on video, you won't ever see him talking about Calix again. He got spanked in front of a bunch of audience. No one backed him on that. Additionally, in 2017, February, 55% of Californians 
said they're open to discussing secession. That was according to Reuters, Ipsos, and Stanford University. Doesn't matter what Pelosi or Newsom think, they said that. Additionally, yes, California has been out there getting signatures to secede after Biden was elected. Turns out Californians still think America's full of chaos, it's sinking, it's unstable, watch out, we're tied to it, they don't have policies in line with us, and we're, I mean, the New York Times called us basically a nation unto ourselves last week. So they get reporters saying, you guys are really different, you're a foreign country, you're not like us, that's from left news, and then they see the Republican Party hating on them every day, and then they know that they're a donor state, and there's 35 states that take their money when we lose everything. Gavin Newsom got attacked for the horrible business climate here in California. Now he gave some speech about it, but ain't no one here buying it. So they know we're a donor state. They don't like that. I don't care what Pelosi or Newsom says, you give me any Californian and I go, do you like having the worst road schools, dams, seaports, airports, federal buildings and bridges and levees? And do you like 35 states having better than you? And do you like that's gone on for 40 years? And do you like that the states that do that talk mad shit on you every day, literally have conventions about how you suck and hate your guts. No one says, I love it because I support Pelosi and Newsom and they're in power. Ain't no one saying that. Secondly, when I talk to Californians about, well, here's all these Californians in power. Okay, did we get a stimulus check in November, December? No, we didn't. Well, I know people who went homeless in December. They needed that $600 to find out that Nancy Pelosi passed the bill after Biden was elected that was the exact same thing that Mitch McConnell offered her in late November, early December, and she chose not to because she said, I'm waiting for a better deal and I need to make sure that states get money. The bill that she actually signed on to, now they're talking about 2000, but the one she actually signed on to said, no local money, nothing for the states. Newsom gets nothing and there's no additional funds. The reason that she didn't do that was because it would help Trump. So she literally admitted that she used 40 million lives of here in Californians as pawns in order to win an election that she said would be won by a landslide. I gotta tell you, when I talk to Californians who are middle-class and lower middle-class, they don't think that's cool to be used by a pawn and no matter if she calls herself Californian or not. Just saying, a couple of facts you may not see in the news because they control it, but I'm here and I know the reality on the ground. So Marcus, I think those are phenomenal points. And I actually, that doesn't shock me at all. I don't doubt any of that for a second. So here's my next question. California being its own self-contained little world, at what point are Californians pushed to the point where we feel like we're pushed as Americans and they go, we all want out. We have a tiny little cache of politicians who don't ever want to leave the United States because Nancy Pelosi leaving the United States is Nancy Pelosi as a meaningless person instead of the important person she is now. So she will never, ever, ever vote to leave, nor will anybody else in that who gets the the glory, if you will, of being that politician for California. At what point do 40 million people go the hell with you, 50 people? We're out. And if you don't let us leave, we're taking you out too. How far do, How far can Californians be pushed? Yeah, the, the thing is, is that Nancy Pelosi and Gavin Newsom are not mobsters. They don't run everything and just say, this is the way that it is. And I said, they have to always appear to be saying what Californians think. If you watch Nancy Pelosi, she's always like, I know my people, I know my reps, I know what they want. So they are exceptionally vulnerable to Californians are saying this, are you not agreeing with them? No, 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 I, I agree with them, I agree with them. 
So let's, let's get real context about where their power is and the limitations of it. They simply can not be appearing to be opposite of where Californians are at. So if you get the majority of Californians, which we can through the ballot initiative process, which means in California, we have something most of you Americans don't. If we get about 600 voters saying it's cool, it goes up on the ballot and it don't matter what Newsom or Pelosi or anyone says or a million dollars campaign. We've done this a million times. It's the law out here. So we have a way around them. We've done it and we've done it in opposition to politicians. The initiative process allows us that. In fact, The Economist magazine said we might have the most democracy of any government on earth because of that alone. So we can supersede them. Yeah, but then one judge will say that the petitions or the ballot or the vote was unconstitutional and throw it out in the garbage. And then you got to start they again won't. for the whole two year process. They won't. They won't. That won't happen. So you trust judges? So let me explain why that's not going to happen. We have filed the CalExit initiative seven times. We have three different attorney generals who've approved it. There is a long, long legal precedent of multiple attorney generals saying it's completely legal to do this. A lot of people say that we crazy Californians will just get rid of an initiative if we don't like, and they point to the Tim Draper initiative to split California into multiple states. We at Yes California knew that what he was doing was illegal to the California Constitution when he filed it. Now, people want to act like Tim Draper is a victim, but if you know the initiative law, you can't do that from day one. I don't care if he's a billionaire and had lawyers. He screwed up day one. We saw it. There's a way to do this and a way not. Tim Draper didn't do it the right way. We've done it seven times with success, and we have three different ATGs who said, yeah, you did it the right way. So not reasonable to compare us to that at all. Can I ask a question real quick? Does California have its own military to defend itself? Should it be its own entity? Of course, the California Guard. Yeah, National Guard. But I mean, like, adequate, I guess, if it were to be... Yes, the, the answer is yes. So what most people don't know is that California has a separate military from the National Guard that's independent and under the exclusive control of the CA government. I think there's maybe two or three states have that, and it was grandfathered in from the 1800s. It's called the California State Military Reserve. It's called the State Guard. We also have a Navy that was authorized in 2014. So there are two different military departments that cannot be federalized and don't report to any federal officer. The National Guard can't. And in fact, when it was sent to Iraq, and then we had our force burned down because we didn't have them here, they started to invest money into totally distinct military units, the Navy and the Army. The distinct thing is that the California National Guard is one of the largest on earth. If you look at total numbers of troops, jet fighters, equipment, et cetera. The reason is because California puts maybe $700 million into that each year. There's no law saying we have to do that at all tomorrow. If the California government said, we want to transfer $700 million to the state defense force, it's done. And we're no longer paying pay stubs for anybody for the National Guard. Now, if you want to get paid, you can go sign up on this other group. Well, guess what? We just invented the world's eighth largest autonomy in about 24 hours. And nothing says we can't do it according to federal law at all. Huh. The market. Awesome. Question too. I mean, California is pretty much like the rest of the country. You have, you know, major blue sections around cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles, right? And then there's a lot of red areas. So, first, my first question is: is support for Cal Exit? Um, do you see that among people on the right as well? And there's also uh, breakup movements within the state. 
And how do you see that unfolding if California were to separate? So a lot of Republicans are basically stuck in a uh, lack of recognizing current politics. Um, they say the interior's conservative and Orange County's conservative and Sacramento. It was in the 1990s, 20 years ago, but the 16, 18 and 2020 elections, that's three in a row, all went blue. I'm sitting in Fresno County. We have a hundred people on video signing a petition for secession here in Fresno County, who we asked to sign the recall petition against Newsom. How do I get all those California conservatives to say they want California to be independent? How come we have officers in Sacramento, Grass Valley, Inland Empire, uh, Riverside, Palm Springs, Orange County, San Diego, and Fresno, and Bakersfield? I thought those were all exclusively conservative domains. Not anymore. So we're barely liberal, but we're liberal. The interior's going blue. If you want to look at red, it's there in the mountains. That's why Jefferson's upset. So if you want to go the very far north or the Sierra Nevadas, those are the only strong Republican districts left except for Kern County in all of California. Didn't Beverly Hills vote for Trump? Uh, yeah, and they were outvoted by the rest of LA. So it doesn't matter. Right, but there, but, are, there are pockets. Sure, there are pockets. But does so Austin get to determine how Texas votes? Yep. Mike, so that's not a great matter. question. And one other way to answer it is that the Republicans might support it, California leaving, even because they are conservatives and they realize once California secedes, as that process happens, it would take a few years, obviously, to secede, they would move to Nevada or Utah or Wyoming um, or Idaho. So the, a lot of them might support it and they say, yes, we live in California now. It's easier than ever before in history to move. They can keep their job, work remote. Most people in the world can work remote um, or find new jobs. It's very easy to move with the internet and everything. So they can say, yeah. I'll vote for secession. I want California to leave, not because I'm a leftist, because I'm on the right. And then they can just, they can move out of California. People are moving all over the, you know, voting with their feet all over the country very often nowadays. Most of the conservatives, I, I grew up in a Republican family. I grew up in a pro-military family. A lot of my family and relatives are still conservatives. Some of them are leaving, but a lot of them are going, I don't like it, but my family's here. I'll just deal with it. So how upset are they really? Are they pleased? No. Are they like, I'm mad as hell and I'm going to do something about it? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't mean to steer it. I do want to take it back to the point of what Kayla was saying, and this is why I did this, and this is why Yes, California is here. It's getting bad. Chuck Todd, Meet the Press, said America looks like a Venezuelan country. Politico interviewed someone and said, it looks like America just operates like a failed Latin state. I grew up as a un poquito niño, a little boy, and I asked my abuela, how come there's so many Mexicans here? And she goes, because every Latin American country is jacked up because America invaded it. This is the, They didn't invade themselves. That's why we're here, because they messed it up for us. Now, I asked my mom when I was 18 for a copy to Foreign Affairs magazine. I think I was the youngest subscriber to that. It's the top international policy magazine for American international affairs. And so I've long studied failed Latin American countries. And I got to tell you, four years ago, I was saying, y'all act like they did. It's happening. And then Politico says it last month. And then Chuck Todd says it last month. And then there's Wednesday. They didn't even know what was gonna happen. A month ago, they were saying America resembles a failed democracy, two different people. And then Wednesday happened. 
whether you think who did what, that resembles a failed country. And yes, California under my leadership has been saying this for four years because we pointed out things like, Michael, a post-constitutional era and the destruction of the constitution, which is also what you see in failed Latin American states. This isn't a left-right thing. Study foreign policy. America's been going down for years. You're not following the rules like you used to. You're acting more like failed Latin American states. And we knew this before this week. So it's going down. And here in California, what I'm trying to tell people is you're attached to a sinking ship when you have a yacht with a brand new engine and a year's worth of food supply. I think you're dumb if you aren't even thinking, what if I have to sail off on my own? No, I don't need to think about that. Don't even look at a life raft. Yeah, I could survive on my own. Yeah, I could totally make it, but don't even think about that at all. Let's just wait till we're being pulled under the water. That dumb as hell. And it's reckless for your children and your own life. That's what I have I'm a question for Marcus and Kayla. Um, what, if any, are the ramifications of you showing up here today and talking to us evil people on the right? Uh, we're both going to get hated on. I'll well, tell you I'm right. wondering, and if you herself, go back, I'm, hated on. I'm wondering, and if you go back to your people and you say nobody on this show tried to kill you, nobody shut you up, nobody was impolite. Um, do they? What do they do with you? We're not as evil as they think. Would oh, we do want them gone. I mean, I, I, one of the reasons. Let me go back, yeah. Marcus. One of the reasons we wanted to show. One of the reasons we wanted this show is we would love to have liberals on this show and actually have a respectful dialogue um, where you don't get the get off the phone, you big dummy type of a response. But our impression is that liberals, of course, you put the lie to that a little bit today, don't want to talk to us at all. Kayla, you wanted to answer something? Um, well, I've, I've already been canceled, so there's, there's <laughs> nothing really left for me to lose on that end, unless um, the mob shows up at my house. But um, yeah, I was going to say, you, you know. look like you got at least two walls behind you and, and that could be taken. But and Marcus, I mean, people know you talk to people on that on the wrong side of the tracks. How, how upset do they get? Uh, well, it's it's I, I piss off a lot of people in the movement. I, I don't mean to. Um, and I get a lot of hate mail. Um, uh, basically, we're launching a Yes California Board of Directors this week. I brought on some conservatives. I've been getting harassing text messages and phone calls each and every day and waking up to harassment. So that's what happens. But I still believe in it. And yeah. And the last time I spoke to you, Marcus, I spoke to you, oh, with that CalExit interview we did a few months ago with, with I think, two other of, of your uh, colleagues that were leading the Calexit movement, either officially or unofficially. And Marcus, you know, we, we've, I've known you for a few years now, but the other two weren't quite as agreeable with me. Um, like you and I are like, are like uh, besties now, but the other two on that show, at a point we got into it with those other two guests. Um, so we really don't agree. And it's hard to communicate because they didn't want to be very civil with me. And they had very strong disagreements with me. And they thought I was a, a you know, a bad person and wrong and stupid and evil. And that's my exact point. That's, we disagree so much by definition, we agree because the topic is separation. That's why we have to separate. We can't even talk anymore. Mm -hmm. We can't even talk anymore. Kayla did an interview with a conservative. She didn't say she agreed with everything she said. He said, she said, I'm a journalist. My job is to report what people say. This guy was there. I'm gonna get his opinion and post it as is. She was called a monster. Why are you even talking to him? 
Why, what do you mean journalists try to get both sides of the story? Walter Cronkite would be throwing up if he was alive today and heard that. No respectable journalist who ever created journalism would think that that's acceptable behavior. Your job was always to get both sides and report it as is. Kayla, I work with her largely because she's one of the most real journalists that's left today. And the fact that she's been multiply banned tells you how Americans think of journalism. We cannot talk to each other, which is why I think secession is the only option. It's the only way that we're going to prevent people getting shot in the face. I'm sorry. And one more phenomenon that I want to mention before I forget because I forgot a minute ago. Um, there's a phenomenon that I just wrote an article about on LibertyBlock.com a few days ago, um, where in the U.S. we have you know various factions, either two factions, right and left, or I could argue ten factions or fifteen, you know, different types of factions. Right now, if you each ask every single individual, all three hundred thirty million in the U.S., around ninety nine percent would say they're not satisfied with the way the U.S. is and the trend, the direction we're going. Ninety nine percent would say they're not satisfied. In polls, Congress has about a thirteen percent approval rating. Yes. Yet they're elected ninety six percent of the times. Yet the laws must never change. Yet Cannabis, which 99% of people think is either fine or pretty fine, remains federally illegal at the highest stage at Schedule 1. So how are there so things things that are so unpopular? 99% of people think it's unpopular. We all hate politicians. We all want certain things. How do those policies remain popular? It's because the U.S. is so big with 330 million people and Congress being you know, a $27 trillion enterprise, you can't affect it. Each of us are nothing peons. We're negligible. We don't exist. We're like a one molecule in the entire universe. We cannot affect change. And therefore, because of all the corruption and the million issues, it's not just one issue, a million issues are decided in Congress and one bill has a million good things and a million bad things. That's how we all get screwed. And that's why it's weird how we're not all the same, yet all of us are actually pretty dissatisfied with the U.S. It turns out one size doesn't fit all. That's such a good point, Elliot. You know, and I think that's one thing that could actually bring us together is, you know, understanding, hey, we are all dissatisfied or unsatisfied with this, this current situation. And another point that I think is very uh, an important highlight to make is we have foreign international enemies that are exasperating this situation, right? So technological warfare is a very important thing. Why is it that, Elliot, you had an issue with talking to the people that Marcus brought on? It's because we're getting two completely different sides of the story. You know, we're getting completely different realities. There's nothing that's connecting us together. There's no tangible bridge that we can walk across and meet each other in the middle on. And that is intentional. There is a, a, a warfare going on right now. They got to do some CNN, so they're clearly living on a different planet than I was. Sure. And it's coming for, out of China and it's coming out of Russia. And so we really have to deal with how are we getting our information? How are we taking this and where is it coming from? You know, and uh, apparently people hate journalists, you know, and I, I don't I don't judge them for that. I understand why, you know, political Politico sources itself, you know, they're not even going to the source. People don't even understand the concept of going to the source anymore, you know, and so it's it's just it's it's a disaster. It really is a disaster. But yeah, you know, we bringing together, I guess what I'm trying to say is understanding that we have, we have commonalities and we also have common enemies, right? And if we could connect with that, I think that that is, is a connecting point that could be powerful, that could maybe get us out of here. Jody, you wanted to say something? Yeah, so, and like Kayla, you brought up the importance of going to the source and the ability to have discussions. And one of my experiences early on um, when I had my shift from the left to the right is I, I ended up uh, watching and listening to this large handful of climate scientists about climate change. 
And I had, you know, been on everything about climate change. And as I listened to these scientists and I'm starting to think, wait a minute, why didn't I hear from these? Why weren't they front and center of a debate? And then I, I realized, I only even knew that climate scientists existed who disagreed with what I was being told because I was told about them through caricatures from the people in the media. They weren't even giving these people a voice. There was no debate between the climate scientists who believe this and those who don't. The climate scientists who say, stop, that's not what's happening, weren't even allowed a part to be in the debate. And I thought, wait, if we're gonna die, kill the planet in 20 years, shouldn't these Shouldn't we be having this major science debate? The debate is over. The science is settled. Never. It never started. <laughs> the debate never really started. And that was when I really had that, like Kayla said, you better, you better go to the source. When they tell you climate science, that these deniers are, you know, bad scientists and whatever, you better go to that, those deniers and you better hear their story. You better hear why they believe what they believe instead of the caricature that's being told about them, which is really just a way to deplatform them, to dehumanize them, to de-scientific scientists them. It's 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 a plan that um, sadly works really well. And I think that's why. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mark. No, no, you go. You go. I I was just going to say I think that's really an important thing that you mentioned, Jody. Is that you know, what we can do, what is it that we can do? If people have a platform, let's continue to try to talk to the other side. Like Elliot said, even if there's disagreements, even if it gets a little hostile, you know, let's try to remember our humanity, remember dignity, remember how to respect one another and, and meet in the middle somehow, some way, you know, cause I, I feel personally, no one really wants to see a genocide occur. No one wants to see a civil war happen. No one wants to, that's, those are horrible things. They're horrendous. Look at what Laser is saying. You know, how many millions of people were macheted in the street? You know, no one wants to see the blood run. I'm hoping, right? And so if we can just connect through our humanity, I think that is a very important step that we all need to be taking in whatever platform, whatever outlets we have. Marcus? Just uh, absolutely what Kayla said. And I would encourage everybody to check out Kayla's reporting. She also did a uh, piece on uh, police violence earlier and she covered the BLM movement. By the way, for the record, so I'm not eating alive. I know a lot of BLM people, I like them. I think they're good people. Those are the ones I know here in California. I'm not talking about anything you saw on news in other American states, I wasn't there. So the ones I know I thought were good. Okay, I Kayla, wanna... uh, I'm sorry, who did I just cut off? You, Marcus? No, no, no. I, I, I did want to point out this. I don't know if you can see this. That's John Maynard Keynes. And Stop. So in 1919, John Maynard Keynes, who developed uh, the form of economics almost every government on earth who's Western uses, so he's not a dummy, he said, this peace plan you have on the Germans is not gonna work. They have to take all the blame. You're making it out like you did nothing wrong and they're all bad and everything they did with World War I is bad. And then you're putting reparations on them to make double that down and then they're not gonna be able to feed themselves and then the people are gonna get starving. And guess what? When they're poor and they're crushed and they can't have a military and they lost land and they, you made them sign a document that they said everything wrong and France and England did nothing wrong at all, 
you're going to make them into a monster. No one had ever heard of the Nazi party in 1919. John Maynard Keynes literally predicted it. Well, he said, if you do this, that's what's going to happen. Marcus, just to prove we don't get along so you can maintain your credibility, those of us who don't like Keynes are going to say, well, at least he got one thing right. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just saying, before we ever heard of Nazis, there was a guy saying, these are otherwise decent people. You're going to push them into this. And I would point out, you take people and you make them feel that they're victims, then they feel it's okay to do anything to you. So that's where the left is. We're victims, we're victims, we're victims. So it's okay to say, punch them in the face. It's okay to say, make lists. It's okay to say, round them up. It's okay to say, if you even went to a political rally, we write your name down on the list. So I'm a victim, it's okay for me to lash out. I mean, look at Ukraine. Yes, Putin, bad guy, their, their dictator guy, bad guy. But once they got that victimized status, one of the parties that helped them achieve independence was a pro-Nazi party with swastikas on them. He's right, they're still active. In the West. It was straight up anti-Jewish, Holocaust didn't happen, totally cool, America looked the other way. So when you get to be a victim, it's cool to do whatever you want. Let's look at the Israeli state. Yes, Israel has a right to exist, but the only apartheid government in the world is them. Not cool. Why did they get there? Because they saw themselves as exclusively victims. Now, yes, Israel has the right. Yes, the Holocaust happened. But you get this, I've been hurt. I've been hurt. I've been hurt. Everything's against me. It's okay for me to do whatever I need to achieve justice and everything goes. Oh, good. We can, we can invite you back to the baby Israel. Yeah, we can do a whole episode on that of the psychology of victimization. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying that when you allow people to think I'm the victim, I'm the victim, the humans, Robespierre was French, Che Guevara was Latino, same thing. I'm a victim. Let's round them up. And then it turned on them. Robespierre had his head chopped off by the same people he got inspired saying, let's chop off heads. Che Guevara was turned on by his own people. So it's, I'm a victim. Everything's cool. It'll turn on you. We have to stop the left is only victimized. They did nothing wrong. This is where this goes. We, when I talk to left people, they go, I, I didn't know that. That never happened. My favorite story is Kamala Harris. They go, Kamala Harris is a uh, lawyer and she stands for justice. Did you see her in the Senate hammering how Donald Trump's against the law? And I love it. And I go, I loved it too. Hey, isn't it a felony to joke about shooting the president in the head? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she did that on live TV. Then what she about slave labor and camps and um, not putting forward evidence to let people out of jail and when they've been yeah. exonerated? So I'm yeah, just saying, like, we have the vice president said on the Ellen DeGeneres show, uh, it, uh, uh, basically it was a joke about Godfather and I come out of the bathroom with a live, meaning I shoot Trump in the face and kill him. She said that joke. When I bring that up to the left, they have no idea that happened. They're like, that didn't happen. Never happened. Never happened. Never happened. That has to go. We have to get to, you don't like Trump, I don't like him, he's racist, sure. And when you say punch them in the face, that's wrong too. And when you say make a list, that's wrong too. And when you have jokes about shooting people or chopping off their heads, that's bad too. And you need to condemn that too. Until we get to where people act like fucking adults, sorry, are responsible for their own actions. This will never get better. I don't disagree with anything you're saying, Marcus, but I... I would go and just look at the impeachment vote that, that was hap- that's been happening since we've been on the on this recording. I think the persecution of Donald Trump, not just the persecution of the right generally, but 
what they're doing to Donald Trump and their attempt to try and humiliate him and their attempt to try and unperson him is going to lead. I already know people that that are being uh, radicalized by it in the sense that uh, while while many people think that Trump was a fighter and Trump sells himself as a fighter, in many respects, he wound up being a lot of talk and less action. And the next person who comes on the right is is going to the test of fire is going to be how tough are you really going to be and not how well can you talk? Because Trump talked a good game, but uh, in the end, he tried to, you know, you can say whatever you want. I, I didn't agree with a lot of the things that he did after election day. Um, I don't think that he incited a riot under legal legal standards, but... Um, Brandenburg standard. Even, yeah, even, even over the summer when people on the right were, were demanding that he... Uh, you know, invoke the Insurrection Act and put down the rioting that was happening across the country. I know I, I on this program suggested that if Eisenhower could send the military into Little Rock in 1957, Trump certainly had the authority to bring the military out to put down the rioting in Portland and New York and some of the other places. Uh, but ultimately, he didn't want to get violent. He didn't want to call out the military. And for all of his many faults, he did try and be as constitutionalist as he could uh, as far as as far as I can see, and I think a lot of people on the right are are looking at what's what's happening to Trump as he's being kicked out of office, and I think that the next the next leader that comes along, the next MAGA type leader, the test is going to be how tough are you really going to be. Um, so I don't even think it, it's got to be, you know, the, the, I don't think it's just the attacks on the right as a whole. I think just the attacks on Trump are doing what you're saying. I'm actually struck by something. I'm struck by the juxtaposition between the Versailles Treaty and Trump. Because I heard Marcus just say that Keynes warned the world that if you push the losing party too far and recognize no humanity in them and push them into a corner, it's going to lead to bad things. And then Ed mentioned Trump. And I'm hearing the same parallel. You can go too far with that. And you know what? The Versailles Treaty was all about humiliation and unbelievable punishment. And look what happened. So those on the left, and I think that's part of what Ed is saying, you need to watch out. If you push too far, you know, everybody's overplaying their hand. You know, the Democrats are dealt a good hand, they overplay it. And Republicans, you can't say they overplay their hand because Republicans never do a damn thing, as far as we're concerned. I want to start wrapping up. So I'm going to give everybody a couple minutes if they like to say their final pieces. Um, starting with anybody who raises their hand nicely. Okay, but you only get one final piece. Go, go, Elliot. Yeah, I'm going to be super quick. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, Marcus, it's awesome to see you. Kayla, it's great. It's nice to meet you, and we'll be in touch after the show. Um, we, we all recognize that nearly all of us are dissatisfied, either from the left or right or from some other faction, but we all think that Congress is not you know, really truly representing us. Someone says something. I think it was Steve. I'll blame him this time. He said, secession is hard, and it is. I think Dave Ramsey always says something. He says, uh, getting out of debt is hard. Being in debt your whole life, that's even harder life. Um, so secession is hard, but staying united with those who want to kill you and think you're a Nazi is even harder. I'd like to uh, defer my time to Kayla. She started this. She saw it first, and she had some great predictions on what's going to happen next. So I'd like to transfer my time to Kayla. I think the way you're dressed and the way you're so polite, you're trying to run for Congress. You're yielding your time. Okay, go ahead, Kayla. Marcus makes a great politician. <clears throat> he 
he, he really does. He talks to everyone on all sides. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, Okay, so I guess my final closing thoughts are kind of what Elliot was saying. I want to piggyback on that in that, you know, whoever becomes the victim group, whether the real victim group in, in regards to a genocide, right, when it actually comes into fruition, when it actually occurs, is um, the people that are doing um, you know, for example, the people that were slaughtering people with machetes, they felt absolutely justified in doing the acts that they did, even though everyone else in the, around the world was looking at it in horror saying, what in the world, how can human beings do things like this? In that moment, they feel justified, right? And so this type of justification is a very, very dangerous thing. Like you were saying, Marcus, again, the victim groups, they feel they, they've been victimized so much through the system, they're, they're justified to punch a Nazi in the face, right? Because they're a Nazi, right? So these types of dehumanizing acts are, are very, very dangerous. And um, the, the final stage in genocide is denial. And why is that such an important point? People deny that it ever happened. They deny that horrendous events even occurred, right? It's, it's a, almost as if uh, within our human psyche, were brought to do these horrendous things and then it's as if they didn't even happen and why is this within the spectrum of emotion why is this within the human spectrum uh, you know why do we have the ability and the capacity to kill other people that look or may even you know be of our own race or our own um ethnicity or whatever it may be um you know these are the issues that we need to deal with these are the things we need to look at why is it that a society can get here and how do we take a step back? And so I just, I want everyone, you know, to, I wanted to bring a, about the awareness. We ring the warning bells, you know, we are close to experiencing some sort of genocide. That is my hypothesis. And as you know, the more that we can highlight and educate ourselves on what genocide is, what starts it and you know, how it ends, the more that we become educated, the more that we can prevent it from occurring, right? And when we know that someone's speaking out and using genocidal speech, call it for what it is. So that's my closing thoughts. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate being here today. Thanks. Either Mike want to say anything? You know, I just was thinking a little bit. There's talk about some of the commonalities we have. Can we bring ourselves down from the ledge? I'm just not sure about that. Um, you know, as a, as a conservative, as a rights-respecting individual, I, and if I feel like a victim, I, it's more because I feel like our system that we're supposed to have is, is disintegrating and our rights, our, our God-given rights are on the line. Whereas on the left, I see, I see powerful forces that the right doesn't have. I mean, we're playing defense all the time, in a sense. We're, we're trying to preserve what we have. But I, I see forces on the left that are powerful. I see groups like Antifa, and I think they're well funded. And I, I think that there's no interest in some quarters there to have peace. I think they're looking to overthrow our society. So I'm not sure what the answer is, I, other than what we're talking about is some sort of a peaceful separation if we can get there. Okay. Um, Laser? A couple of things. I'm not really sure what direction to go in, but I'll keep it short. As a lot of you know, a lot of you know me for a very long time. Uh, a lot of you know that I'm definitely the pessimist here. I'm the one who thinks that while well, secession sounds great, 
it's also literally impossible. And the day somebody tries it is the day the government declares all out war and comes in with fighter jets. Uh, that's me. So I don't really know how possible this stuff is, though. It sounds fantastic. Addressing the genocide angle of things. I was raised an Orthodox Jew and like the Armenians, the Orthodox Jews know an awful lot about genocide and it's something that's survived in the lore of the culture. It's a massive piece of day-to-day life for all of them till this very day. It's in the music, it's in the literature. It's It becomes a piece of that entire ethnicity. I'm very familiar with genocide and, and sort of because of what I do for work now, I've, I've the opportunity to work alongside literally hundreds of people who have been involved, whether with the United Nations or one military or another, in Darfur, in Rwanda, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, in Yemen, in Kyrgyzstan, in all of these places where they were boots on the ground physically while these things were happening. And so I've, I've spent the last six months learning a tremendous amount about all of this and the commonalities in them. I mean, if you were to make flashcards and pull the name of the country and just put five bullet points on the front of a flashcard, it fits every single one. This is such a predictable pattern. This is such a familiar and quantifiable trajectory. There can be no doubt about it. While everyone in the world knows, yeah, sure, Mao killed lots of people, Stalin, Hitler, Idi Amin, great. We know a handful of names, but as some of the countries I pointed out earlier, this stuff is ongoing today in at least a dozen countries in the world. There was a UN mission in Kiribati for like, Four years, 99% of the earth has no idea where these places are, or uh, East Timor, I'm sorry. This stuff is everywhere. And it just happens the same way every time. That I'm not ex- exactly familiar with that scale. Kayla, you've been incredibly elucidating for me personally. Now I'm going to go look up this scale. I wasn't familiar with it. But as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And you go, and the next step is this. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I, I don't have that scale, but if you ask me to outline it, I'll bet I would have seven to nine of those points in order because all I'd have to do is pick any one of these out of a hat and say, well, this happened first, and then that happened, and then this happened, and then that happened, and wait a minute, we're back at every genocide ever. And all of that, really, it is happening here. And I don't know the outcome. I don't know if somebody manages to pull this off peacefully. I don't know if we do wind up in a full-blown civil war in five years. I do know that the United States, by virtue of having once been what it was, is going to be a slightly different affair, only because de-weaponization is such a massive part of a successful genocide. Turns out it's very hard to kill people who can fight back. So we saw guns taken away by everybody from Castro to Stalin to Mao's. You can't have weapons. Now, civilians in this country don't have tanks and, and planes, but like we saw for so many years in Afghanistan with the Taliban. I mean, forget tanks and planes. These people didn't have running water. Turns out they were still really hard to kill because what they knew is the environment, the language, the people, the culture, and they just had a bunch of old Russian rifles that had been sitting in a cave for 45 years, but they work. And so 20 years later, there are still troops from all around the world in Afghanistan, still fighting these battles with a bunch of ragtag people who learned to shoot in a backyard, shooting at piles of dirt. So in the United States, if it actually ever came to that point, I really don't know how it'll end, but I know it will not be as easy as it was in most of the rest of the world. I can speak for Wyoming, where I spent several years living. In Wyoming, it's normal for a male adult to be able to hit a dinner plate at a thousand yards because they start shooting when they're five. Wyoming's topography is not that dissimilar from Afghanistan. 
could somebody come and take Wyoming? I honestly think no. And even California, if Californians arm themselves, so much of the topography in California, it's just not friendly land for a military. You can't roll a tank through half of California. There's mountains, there's cliffs. People who grew up in these areas, they could defend an area like the Big Sur area where it's cliffs and mountains and trees. 5,000 people could hold that space forever until it was bombed out of existence. So I just, I don't know what direction this goes in, but every single point you mentioned about the genocide kind of got me thinking we're absolutely on that road. There can be no doubt. And I believe that, like I mentioned, I think this is a multi-wicked powder keg because everybody is the victim on the verge of desperation. The right, the left, the blacks, the whites, uh, women and the Me Too movement, uh, the Hispanics who feel like they're being discriminated against, everybody somewhere is a victim. In some way, everybody in America right now is saying, I'm the victim. And the right was just pushed far enough, finally, to violence. We saw the BLM and the Antifa and the right are like, you can't do that. And then they got pushed far enough and they're like, yeah, the hell with that. Actually, let's go break some windows and knock somebody over the head with a fire extinguisher. Everybody at some point reaches a point of desperation. And I don't know what that breaking point is for everybody, but I do think we're approaching it. Okay, Ed, you're the cleanup hitter. Uh, well, we, did, we skipped over Jody. Did Jody have anything to say? Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. No, I don't. I just thank you, Marcus and Kayla. I hope you can come back. I'm going to, I'm going to try not to be too afraid as I sleep tonight. I'm afraid for my children. Maybe I need to move to Wyoming, but um, thank you for coming. Please come back on. I'd love talking to you. Thank okay. you. All right. Uh, thank you, Marcus and Kayla. I second Jody's comment on that. Um, I think I'd like to try and tie together what Kayla and Marcus were talking about today with the events of the last, the current events of the last week. Uh, you know, a week ago today when we were recording, the uh, Capitol riot was in progress. Um, the buzzword from that riot repeated over and over and over again was insurrection, that Trump incited an insurrection. And I don't think that he incited under the, under the legal definition, under the Brandenburg standard, and as awful as what happened was, and as much as I do not defend it in any way, shape, or form, it was not an insurrection. There was at no moment, no time when the U.S. government was in danger of being sacked and overthrown. Uh, but there was a purpose in that language. The left uses language in a way to achieve its goals. Um, and I think that we saw today with the impeachment of Donald Trump for a second time, uh, I think they're laying the foundation for a second Patriot Act. And I think that they're laying the foundation for being able to call a whole swath of the of population domestic terrorists for imposing speech control uh, and potentially for disarming people on our side. Um, and I think that's, that's a real dangerous possibility. Um, I think that the left has learned from Obama's mistake when he first came into office. If you recall, or I recall being really, really worried when Obama came into office, I thought it was a very radical person. Um, but instead of jumping straight to his most, well, instead of starting off by trying to silence talk radio, which is what he probably should have done in retrospect, uh, he started off with Porculus, you know, the stimulus bill, and then with Obamacare. And he left he left open community organizing on the right, you know, and the Tea Party is what sprung up almost immediately. 
And although Obama did accomplish a lot of things, he did have an effective presidency for his, his goals and his people. He could have probably accomplished a heck of a lot more had the first thing out of the gate in the first hundred days been some attempt to reimpose a fairness doctrine or somehow try and shut down conservative talk radio. And it looks to me like we're gonna get a page, second Patriot Act, I'm guessing in the first hundred days or six months of, uh, of the Biden administration. And I think that it's gonna be aimed at silencing the people that, uh, that are being, you know, I hate to use the, the victim word, but are the victims of political persecution right now, uh, which has been the theme that, that we've talked about today. So, um, you know, I think that that's, that's worth noting. I mean, you know, I don't know if we're going to do a show next week, if we're going to talk about the incoming Biden administration, he'll be just inaugurated when we get on next week. Um, but I, I did want to point that out beforehand. I think it's also worth noting that the big tech companies, uh, I think Mike started off the show today mentioning that they had, that their stock prices had crashed. And he didn't mention, but I'll mention that they've alienated 50% or so of their customer base. And that is not the way a profit-seeking enter enterprise operates, or at least operates for long. Um, but it doesn't seem like they're too concerned about it. I know Amazon has gone a long time without making profits. And just in general, I think that their actions speak, bespeak to me that they don't expect, they expect to make their profits a different way. And I'm guessing from some sort of government payoff, whether from the Chinese government, the American government or some other government. Um, so I, that's, you know, I just wanted to, to say that. I, I think it's very curious that, they're, that these companies are so willing to destroy themselves economically uh, and, and are almost gleeful about it, which tells me their motivation is something other than profits, even though they're publicly held companies. So new uh, saying, persecution over profit. I'm sorry? Ooh. I said new saying, persecution over profit. Okay. You know, Very you people over profit, not persecution over profit. It, new hashtag. Okay. Um, well, I, that's, that's as much as I wanted to say today. I think we had a nice show and thank you everybody for, for joining us. Um, we may have a batter up after cleanup. Mike S, did you want to say something? Um. Sure. Why not? I'll try to be as quick as I can. And only because I can toot my own horn here. So, uh, uh, Marcus, I'd love to chat with you sometime um, because you did mention John Maynard Keynes, who's famous for the general theory of employment um, and interest in money. Uh, and he did absolutely, as uh, Thomas Sowell mentions in, in this book, I don't actually have with me to, to show, um, in um, Intellectuals in Society, he does mention how John Maynard Keynes did actually do a very good job of calling that out. Um, he, you did mention uh, F.H. Buckley's American Secession. You didn't actually name the book, but I did read it myself. And the reason I bring that up is twofold because Ellie and I actually did have a debate on secession. I can't in good conscience mention where you can find that debate at this point um, because of the platform, if you want to call it a platform where it's hosted. Um, and, you know, Elliot, like, although I found F.H. Buckley's arguments extremely unconvincing, I'll be, I'll be honest, um, I'll, Elliot, I'm almost on board with you. Like, and we've talked about the rash, first things first, the book I would recommend if you were willing, if, and Marcus, if the, uh, there's a book I would recommend that if you're trying to convince people to uh, get on the side of secession, right now it would be F.H. Hayek's The Road to Serfdom. 
um, especially chapters 10, 11, and 12. So this is, this is what I, I just wanted to just jump in real quick and say, oh, first things first, uh, the House Resolution 24 just passed uh, just about a half an hour ago um, to impeach Trump, 232 to 197. Uh, just get that out of the way. So the reason I'm starting to be convinced is because the solution for the right to get back these institutions is to forget the short game and start playing the long game, which nobody wants to play. And I think that's partly because where the left won these institutions and started to win these institutions was through the subversion techniques that Yuri Bezmenov talks about in his books, um, which began actually in the late 1940s, because we actually had a full-on socialist presidential candidate who won states in 1920, I think it was the 1920 election, uh, Robert La Follette, who was a full-on socialist and was effectively running on the socialist ticket. Then World War One, World War Two came around, and obviously we they, there was a, a backlash to that. So it had to kind of go underground, and they had to start kind of using these subversion techniques to play the long game and win over the cultural institutions, and then with those cultural institutions, win over the influence of governmental institutions. So there is an actual solution to this. But it's a very, very long game. And for the record, that's playing out in my hometown right now. And we're seeing it building from the ground up where there's a subversion technique that's being used to tear the RTC from within. And I've said for years, my problem has never been with the local DTC or with Democrats in general. It's with the radicals within the, within the group. And Marcus, you could probably agree with me that like, the overwhelming majority of Democrats do not agree with these radical positions. And for that reason, I'm starting to come around to secession because of the fact that what it's going to take to get us to a point where we're finally in agreement with fundamental things like how we culturally view the First Amendment and the notion of free speech beyond its legal protections. I, I just I don't. I, I disagree with F.H. Buckley that there is a, path, a legal pathway to unilateral secession by a state. But at this point, at this point, if, if California decides to go, the right and proper thing for the federal government is to shed a blind eye to it and let them go. And at this point, I don't think it's going to come from the left if we're going to get a secessionist movement because they've got the thing that they want in California. Nancy Pelosi has power. It's not going to come from... California, I don't think. I think if it's going to come from the state, it's going to come from Christy Nome. And if you guys want to see this happen, I think that's where it's going to come from. And that's the person you need to be protecting. So, um, Elliot, I'd love to have to talk to you sometime on a, just as a one-on-one. -on -one. And Marcus, I'd, I'd love to, to do some debates with you sometime um, and, just, and talk about the colleagues that move in and how you've gotten to where you've prescribed. Um, just as, okay, as a, give him my email. Please sure. yeah, give yeah, Michael we'll get, my email. We'll get you all in touch. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to hijack the end of this show, but there is a way out of this that doesn't involve secession. There is a way out of this that doesn't involve genocide. But it means doing things that we as Republicans have been historically terrible at doing and just axiomatically don't stand for. So for those of, for those of you who, were, who saw that debate where, I, where Elliot defended secession and I took the con position, you guys are winning me over. Let's debate. There we go. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank uh, Kayla and Marcus once again for coming. I thought this was a fantastic dialogue. 
Hope to do it again sometime. Um, we'll be up on SoundCloud and iTunes, hopefully within about a half an hour, um, possibly on Rumble as well, if I'm well informed. And everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Marcus and Kayla. Thanks. Marcus and Kayla, guys, thank you for joining us.